good news, we, um, this is almost going to be the shortest section in Job that we'll look at, all, uh, all 20 verses of it. <laughs> now, the reason it's short is because, let's be honest, what else is there left to complain about at this, at this point? At, <clears throat> for Job, for anybody, I mean, this has been part of the issue, but Bildad apparently has decided that he is offended and he wants to say something, but apparently he's not but so offended because he only says something for six verses. Um, warning as we go forward, Job continues on past 26. We are going to only deal with the beginning of Job's nice long soliloquy. So we're going to deal with what Job says in 26, and then next week we will deal with what Job says in 27 through 31. Because once he once Job lets loose this time, he just keeps going. And then, you know, actually we're on the downhill stretch here because then Elihu starts to respond and he's somebody we haven't heard from yet. Then God finally gets his say and then we're basically done. So it's all downhill from here to interpret that how you will. <laughs> Last little bit of, of everything this morning. This is going to get ugly quickly in this, cha- in, this, in this section of the book, but it's actually going to end on something that's encouraging. Not for them. There's nothing encouraging for, for them and what they're saying to each other, but it's encouraging for us because we can actually see the forest for the trees. So just stick with me to the end, and I promise it gets better today, okay? That's, that's your hope and encouragement. There's your positive, encouraging, K-love statement of the day. Just stick with me. We'll get there. So, all right, let's, let's dive right in. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered, Dominion and awe belong to him. Uh, again, notice the NASB capitalizing the him. That's how you know that's God he's talking about. Who establishes peace in his heights? Now, we're going to take a long time out on this verse because this is, the, uh, this is the best thing that Bildad says. So we might as well give all the attention to the good stuff, right? So dominion and all belong to God. And all God's people would say what? Yeah, duh. This is a known thing. Who's arguing against that point in this little powwow at the fireplace? Is anybody arguing against this idea that God is in charge? I can prove it too. Go back to Job 12 when Job was talking. Ask the beasts of the field, let them teach you. The birds of the heavens, let them tell you. Speak to the earth and let it teach you. Let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. This is why I I, I keep pointing these things out because... This becomes the danger, not just in their world, but because there is nothing new under the sun, this becomes the danger in your world as well. We get in such a hurry to win an argument, to make a point, that we don't actually pay attention to what's being said and what's being argued. Slow down. Pay attention. It's not just wisdom in action. It's necessary for gospel proclamation. To answer questions that people don't have or address concerns that people are not worried about is not only counterproductive, it's it's a waste of time. Here's an example of Bildad doing this. I'm going to argue for the sovereignty of God because Job agrees with you? Because all of the friends that you brought with you agree with you? So you're going to stand around and say something and everybody's going to go, uh-huh, and... What's your point, dude? Where are we going with this? What will this actually accomplish? That's your first part. Second part, it's been a bad day for the screen, so just come on, come on. There we go. So dominion and all belong to him, fine. (laughs) 
Who establishes peace in his heights? In other words, where does peace come from, Christian? It comes from God. No one else can establish it. God must establish it. Again, this is one of those does of Scripture. You can move forward. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Now, here's where this is going to be important. Does that have anything to do with Job? Does that have anything to do with Job's problem? No. Job has God. Go back to Job 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Why would you do that? I mean, doesn't that just describe the world that you live in? Doesn't that just beautifully describe the world as people are running around, fearing God, and turning away from evil all by themselves, right? No! <laughs> so what you've discovered is people are people everywhere yes people are people now they don't live like this they don't think like this they don't function like this so why is job doing it he's the one weirdo on the planet no this is what it looks like when you belong to god you are different than the world that is around you you are empowered and strengthened to live and think and walk differently because you have been change. So Job has God. Does Job have peace? No. No, he does not. If Job had peace, we wouldn't be in chapter 25 of this book. We'd have been done after five seconds. The book would have been over and there'd have been nothing else to learn. Oh, look, you want to get through your troubles? Have peace with God and look, everything will be okay. So yes, God brings peace. Now, let's just be honest. What question should that raise to everyone sitting around? That God has dominion, God has power, God brings peace. Job claims to have God, yet Job is acknowledging that the work that is in present in front of him is from God, and yet Job has no peace. What three-letter question should you immediately start asking? Why? What has gone wrong here? Why don't you have peace? Where did we go off the line? What has so broken in this endeavor that there is no peace to be found in someone who claims to worship, follow, and trust in God? Which Job from his own mouth has claimed. Now, this is where it's going to get fun. You ready? Any joking and any kidding about the uselessness of all of these speeches aside. If you are actually pursuing those questions in this little powwow around the campfire, at some point you've got to come back to a singular person. Which person would you come back to when dealing with the why there is no peace even though you claim to have God? At the end of the day, the problem rests where? You, which would be Job. Job has lodged the complaint. Job is claiming that he is righteous before God, and yet he is afflicted. He has God, but he has no peace, which means there is a problem, not with God, but with Job, which means Job, there actually is a sin that you're not dealing with. All this time, and his friends were right. No, 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 they weren't. No, we're not giving them any credit. We're giving them no credit. Because their problem is they think that Job's problem is outward. You have done this. You have acted in this manner. You have wronged this person. You have oppressed that person. Always remember this. This is what the world wants to do. The world wants to move sin outside of you. 
the, the legalist Christian, air quotes, wants to move sin outside of you. This is why if you ever meet a Mormon, they're the nicest person on the planet. I'm, I'm serious. Mormons to you will be wonderfully nice. You ever had a knock on your door? Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're the sweetest, kindest people. You know why? The Mormon definition of sin is what is outside of them. That they are saved by Christ after they have done all that they can. So, as, as they, so Jesus fills up where they fell short in the regards of what they did. So all of their sin is outside of them. That's why they have to be nice to you. They have to be kind. That's where their definitions are. Now, Christian, where does sin start? Yeah, it's not what you do. It's a lot of times who you are. Define sin wrong, you'll look for the solution to that sin in the wrong place. And that's what you've seen with the friends. So let's try to distill this then. What would the sin of Job be? And I think you can actually identify this quite easily. I'm good. I'm righteous. I've done nothing wrong. God has wronged me. If he gives me a hearing, I will be acquitted. In other words, Job is righteous in who? In whose sight? His own. He's self-righteous. Now here's the problem. Do you know why none of his friends can see that one? They have the exact same problem. They have the exact same problem. Now, this is where you can take one very important lesson, Christian. You need to listen. Not just to me, although that's helpful. You need to listen to critique and criticism, especially when you don't like it. Especially when you don't like it. See, because Job has not listened, he has not evaluated, he has not thought through. Because Job has simply reacted to everything that they've said, and they have simply reacted to everything that Job has said, nobody's done the one thing I forever tell you to do. Have that nice long look in the mirror with that person who's staring back at you and actually think through. Even if, the, even if the complaint and the critique is something that you think is utterly ridiculous, you know what you should do? You should spend a couple of minutes and just think about it. Just in case. Just in case. Think it through. Evaluate. If it is as insane as you believe it to be, what will you have lost? What if that person that I despise, who is worse than me, is actually right. What should I do? I now have a sin that I need to go to work killing. You need to be patient and slow and evaluate in this world. And trust me, has, which one of you has ever been told you've done something wrong and you took that well and were happy about it? I'm serious. I mean, when have you ever been like, oh, thank you. I'm so glad you told me. And if you did, you said it just like that. You're like, I'm so glad you told me how awful of a person that I am. <laughs> I, I, I know you would never, but you know. <laughs> I mean, and, and by the way, self-included, nobody likes to be told they're in the wrong. But you know what? Even if you don't like it, you need to hear it. I have. Look, cards on the table. I've had this in the last couple of months. Somebody came to me. Showed me an area that was a problem. Do you think I was thrilled? Was I just like, oh, thank you, this is amazing. So, no, it was a pain. And my initial reaction is I want to make 17 excuses and I want to try to ignore it and go on with it. You know what I have to do, though? Stop. Think. Evaluate. Move forward. Deal with life the way that it is, not the way that I wished it would be or the way that I would hope it would be. Which means there's a distinct possibility that I've done something wrong. Perish the thought. We laugh, but I'm serious. This is how we think most of the time. Have you ever been in a traffic accident? Your first thought was everything you did wrong, right? 
No, your first thought was what that fool that hit me did. (laughs) Never mind, they were perfectly stopped at that red light. Why were they sitting there? Why did you do that? Never bumped into somebody in the kitchen and your first thought is, why are you standing there? Well, I was just standing here. You ran into me. (laughs) We defend ourselves. We make excuses for ourselves. We justify ourselves. Wisdom tells you to stop it. Wisdom tells you to think, to evaluate, to give everything credence. I didn't say you have to say everything is right, but you should think about all of it. You should evaluate it and then move forward. Don't do that. You start yelling past each other. By the way, you don't just do that with the Christians. You do that with everything. Evaluate the arguments from the angry atheist. Evaluate the arguments from the world. Evaluate the critiques. Give answer. It is worth while you will be better for it and the witness of Christ will be better for it because we are acting the way Christ has called us to calmly dispassionately as much as possible and slowly in wisdom thinking answering giving hope giving reason for hope as we have it so told you we'd spend a long time there that's not the best part I told you it's going to get worse and then it gets better so we're going to do what we can here so Is there any number to his troops, and upon whom does his light not rise? How then can a man be just with God, or how can he be clean who is born of woman? Now, this is important. This is actually a really good question to ask. And the reason I say that is because there's a historical answer, no matter where you put Job. And the reason I say that is because I, I, when we started this book, I gave you a couple options for the author. Uh, Traditionally speaking, um, Authorship is given to either Moses or Solomon, sometimes Ezra, when you get into the wisdom literature. As far as who wrote the book, if you put a gun to my head and made me pick one, I would probably tell you Solomon. The harder question is when do the events of this book take place? Because the time period makes a lot of sense for the patriarchal period. So you're talking about Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and even beyond that. But the names that are given are names that apply to the children and grandchildren and offspring of Abraham. And part of the argument, I, the reason I like to put it back into the patriarchal period, and I can deal with the, the names being used as anachronisms. So I, if you, like we'll do this all the time. So if I told you, okay, I, the, the camera won't see this, but that's okay. If, if you're looking in history and you're talking about the ancient Galatia region, and I told you, well, that's in Turkey. Well, was the Galatian region in Turkey? No. Back then, it might have been called Anatolia, depending on who you spoke to. But what do you know this landmass as if you look at a map? You know it is Turkey. So if you wrote a book and said, the ancient Galatian region where Paul traveled during the mission term in Turkey, would you go, oh, liar, Turkey didn't exist? No, you would say that's an anachronism. You're explaining in a way that makes sense to me. I think Solomon's doing the same thing with the names and the places and the families, putting them in the places that would make sense to his people. I point all of that out because... When you want to go backwards in history from this book to figure out what they would have known, that could influence you some. So assuming go back as far as you can, there are very few places that you can go to before them to answer the question, how then can a man be just with God? But there are answers. How do I know there are answers? Because I can go beyond them, definitely, in things like Genesis chapter 4. To Seth, to him also was born a son, and his name was Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Was this last week's question or week before last? Genesis 5, 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So you have people actually walking with and calling upon and being righteous before 
God, being just with God. Genesis 6, God's judgment is coming upon the whole earth except for which dude? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, oh, if you ever want to have a fun afternoon, go look up the Tennessee Williams version of that. They made that into a song, and like it's an eight-minute song, and five minutes is Tennessee Williams running around going, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he landed high and dry. And I'm not even kidding. You're welcome. <laughs> now, see, there you go. Terry's taking notes in the back. now. <laughs> Don't ever take my advice on music. No, anyway. <laughs> My only advice on music is, is it heretical? If it is, we're not singing it. Other than that, I'm okay. I cannot like something and it still be just fine. Now, <laughs> in country music, just not my thing. It's okay. We have people before this that can answer this and say, yes, Bildad, you can be just before God as long as you're doing what? Looking to God and not looking towards you. And I cannot stop coughing today. Now, that is the hope that looks beyond themselves and beyond their accomplishments. But when you define your righteousness as your actions, and you define your sin as your actions alone, can you rightly answer this question on how you can be just before God? You can't rightly answer. They are having a blast in there today, aren't they? <laughs> They're having a good old time. Psalm 32 points out. Remember I mentioned last week that you get the same correction over and over and over again because we have the same problem over and over and over again? Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, the one whom God has forgiven. Now, you ready for it to get really worse? Are you ready? Okay. If even the moon has no brightness, and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man that maggot, and the son of man that worm? Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Now, this is a warning that I have given before that I don't always heed, although I try to, but I think is a good warning for us in general. When I mention the church and I try to mention something that has gone wrong in the church or something that has gone askew in the church's understanding of things, you will, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that I give 27 qualifiers. So I will tell you the church in the United States or the evangelical church in the last 20 years. Do you know why I do that? I don't want to be the guy who's constantly bad-mouthing God's people. And when we say the church... We have a really bad habit of throwing everybody under the bus at the same time, and that's not fair, and that's not true. So I think the same thing applies here. I mean, are there times in history, stop that, are there times in history when that description should and could apply to humanity? Yes. Should that be your default setting when you think about people? If it is, I think you might need to do some evaluating where. God said, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon 
the earth. That is a baseline understanding for who and what people are. When you lose that, the problem is not in God. The problem is not in Scripture. The problem is in you. This is, again, why I tell you to guard your heart, to check your actions and base them upon what your motivations are, and rather, base them on what your motivations should be. Because too often, that tug from the world, that pulling, starts getting you leaning, and it becomes very easy to look at them. Those people who are doing that thing, you know, the ones that hate us and insult us and say bad things about us, and you start to think in terms of us versus them. Do you know what separates us from them? God. God and his accomplished work, nothing else. We're not smarter, we're not braver, we're not better, we're not more clever. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that's it. Now, here's the thing. By the faithful proclamation of the gospel and the work of God being done in his creation, what can happen for them, too? If he can save me, he can save them. This is that constant reminder that we have to have. It guards your language because it changes your heart and how you think about this world. This is revealing, not of the problem in the interaction, but in the problem that is in Eliphaz, in Bildad, in Zophar, and even in Job. It's the understanding of we're good because we have done good, and then there's those bad people that are unrighteous before God. And now which camp is Job in? (laughs) This is why they're not listening. This is why they're not evaluating. This is not sanctified friendship. This is idolatrous friendship. This is not going to end in a good place. Now, we're still not getting to the good part yet. It's going to get better, but, you know, slowly. (laughs) So Job gets a response, chapter 26. Then Job responded with complete sarcasm, just so you know. What a help you are to the weak. How you have saved the arm without strength. What counsel you have given to one without wisdom. What helpful insight you have abundantly provided. To whom have you uttered words and whose spirit was expressed through you. (laughs) In in other words, um, have they been helpful? Have they been wise? And have they been spiritual? Because I watched this movie with the kids over the weekend to quote the great prophet Wayne Campbell. Not. (laughs) Sorry, we ended up watching Wayne's World. It was better than I thought it would be. Better than I remembered it. Connor laughed. So, Bildad's not doing well. We already know from last week Eliphaz is not doing well. My only guess is that Zophar is so angry he had to storm off and that's why he doesn't get a third speech. But now Job is not doing well either. He's angry, they're angry, everybody is in the same boat and it is sinking as fast as possible so cue the Celine Dion music because we are all doomed. You guys get that joke, right? Near, far, where? Okay, so. (laughs) Completely unrelated to anything, by the way. Cameron and I were watching an interview See, as someone who actually owns a Celine Dion CD, and I can admit that publicly, I'm okay with it. (laughs) Yeah, but I owned one when I was 16. See? See? I can appreciate music. (laughs) We were watching an interview, and this interviewer was talking about Celine Dion. And I'm like, I know she's French-Canadian and all, but my entire life her name has been Celine Dion. When did it become Celine Dion? And are you required by law to say Celine Dion? Because like, I, I can talk quickly, and I struggle to say, to say all those letters that quickly. Just unrelated. Canadian. 
<laughs> That's what it is. Okay. I've already told you, I've almost got Jada convinced that Canadians aren't actually real people. I've almost got her convinced they're mythical creatures, that she's never met one, she's never seen one apparently. <laughs> well, my argument was real simple. See, Canadians don't exist because if they did, they would be from Canada. But the country north of us is Canada, so they would have to be Canadian. So they just, they're, they aren't real. <laughs> she doesn't actually believe me, but she plays along, and I appreciate that. <laughs> now, why do I say they are all in the same boat doing utterly poorly? Well, let's stop and think through biblical wisdom. Proverbs 10. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked that which is perverted. Proverbs 12. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Doesn't that just describe everybody? Right in their own eyes. Nailed it. Proverbs 19. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Now, this is important. Christian, you're allowed to ask this question about your Bible, I promise. Why is that the standard? And don't just tell me because God said so. <laughs> I'm not taking that as an answer today. That is disqualified. You will be failed. No points. Why is that the standard? These interactions are a demonstration of why patience, calm, listening before speaking, thinking through your words, and living according to wise counsel is a standard. It's things like 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. What's everybody's problem so far in this little powwow? Self-righteousness. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses." with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, this is the lesson in the world. We get really comfortable because we live here. We live here. I mean, it, it is what it is. You have things that you like that if they went away as part of this world tomorrow, you would be disappointed. Like the ability to flip a switch and the light's coming on. If that was gone for the rest of your life, you would miss that, wouldn't you? You... <laughs> don't throw your wife under the bus. That's not nice. You'd be bummed if there were things in your life that just, they were just gone. You know, the ability to turn the faucet handle and the water is cold. And then you do, and now it's warm. And now it's cold. And now it's warm. Like you would miss that if it went away. You don't want to go down to the creek, you know, fill up a bucket and bathe in January, do you? <laughs> not in Illinois. Maybe, maybe in Texas, but not in Illinois. You don't want to go down that road. So there are things that you would miss. That doesn't make you an evil person. It's a reminder, though, that because you live here, you walk alongside a world that is broken, and you identify with it a whole lot. The blessing of God is that there are difficulties, there are trials, there are struggles, there are hardships, because they prune you day by day, chiseling apart that little mesh that you have welded to yourself that little section of you that is too attached. You're self-righteous. And I would argue that Job and friends are. I think I've tried to make that case this morning. Why are your kids good? 
<laughs> because if you're Job, I've trained them well. I've made sacrifices on their behalf. I've prayed for them. I've given offerings. I've instructed them well. They know how to walk because I taught them. Is their life and their godliness about you? I mean, let's be honest. Parents, when are you the most upset at your kids? When they've done something wrong or when they've done something wrong where other people can see that you didn't teach them any better than that? (laughs) You've never once started an argument with a child that said, how dare you embarrass me like that? You've never thought it. You've never said it. You've never lived like that. Don't look at your children. That's not polite. (laughs) Don't throw them under the bus like that. Why? Because your pride was hurt. Your self-righteousness was torn down a little bit. It's good for you. If you won't have the honest conversation, what's the most loving thing a God can do for you? Yeah, make you have it. Give you something. Give you someone that will make you have it. That's why you always have that person in your life that's a little bit better than you at stuff. Well, other than Jonathan, obviously. (laughs) But I mean, you you get to the point where you're doing really well at work, and then all of a sudden somebody shows up and picks up what took you two weeks to pick up, and they're doing it in two days. And you're like, I don't like you anymore. I used to deal with this in restaurants all the time, because everything in a restaurant is a system. There is a system for how everything is supposed to run, and you will get quick in a restaurant when you have assimilated into the system and you know what you're supposed to do. You will be slow when you try to operate outside of the system because you're now messing up everybody else and how they're supposed to operate, and that slows them down and it slows you down. So as you assimilate into the system, you get better. Some people assimilate into some systems, like you grab them and it's like day one, they're in. And then some people, it's like, it's been two weeks. Is it okay to hate this person yet because they can't seem to do this? And then all of a sudden a month goes by and it's like, they're, you're one of your best employees. Because it took them a while, but once they got into the system, they figured it out, and now they're functioning. Why do we get mad when somebody assimilates to something faster than us? Why do we get mad when somebody has a skill that they've developed that's better than us? Because who's who's wounded? Yeah, me. I am, because I wanted to be good at that. I wanted to be the best. (laughs) I don't want to work harder to be better than that. This is the warning from the world. We love ourselves in this place a lot. And we don't always heed the warnings. And if you don't heed the warning, then what happens when you get to the speed bump? You ever driven through these neighborhoods that have the little speed hump? You you ever hit one where there wasn't a sign? I did. Pepper Drive. The sign wasn't there, and it wasn't one of the yellow painted ones. It was the same color as the pavement. And I wanted to, you want to hit it at about 15, and I hit it at about 40. Then we did, a, we did this, <laughs> for a split second, I could, I could hear the Dukes of Hazard theme song, you know, <laughs> for just a minute. Unfortunately, there was no pause before we hit, you know, <laughs> and we did that coming back um, on the other side of Byron. There was a, we'd gone over several railroad crossings, and none of them were a big deal until we hit one that was. <laughs> the kids react, that was cool. No, that was not cool. Make sure there's nothing laying in the middle of the road. No, I mean, we were off completely. That nice little white SUV out there. (sighs) What are the warnings from Scripture? Things like 1 John 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. By the way, 
this is not just the beating portion of the sermon. This is also the encouragement portion of the sermon. And here's why. None of the friends have done well. Is Job doing well? Why haven't we condemned him yet? Let's go back to the beginning. What doesn't Job have? He doesn't have peace. What does Job have? He still has God. Job has made it this far because God has carried him this far. Christian, no, you don't love God as much as you should. No, you don't hate the world as much as you should. No, you're not as patient as you should be. No, you're not as wise as you should be. No, you're not doing as well as you're supposed to be. Okay. Yes, you want to be better at all of those things. That's okay also. Know that it is not your accomplishment of those things that pleases the Father. It is the work of Christ completed in you that pleases the Father who is in heaven. It is the work of Christ completed in you that stands you before his throne. It is the work of Christ completed in you that will bring you across the finish line. Kicking and screaming some days. This would be one of those days for Job. But it is God's accomplishment, not your own, that holds you before him. Remember that always. That's the reminder that changes the heart, that changes the mind, that leads to the change of action. We want to do this the wrong way. We want to start on the outside and work backwards. You can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Not going to work. You've got to start on the inside and work out. And that starts with knowing who are you and why are you that way. It's that hard conversation with that old guy in the mirror. Sorry, that's just me. keep threatening I'm not growing a beard this year. It'd be the first time since 1999. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to be Santa yet. (laughs) Sorry, these are the things I worry about some days. I'm allowed. (laughs) Now, Job is going to prove my point. Because I told you it got good. This is the part where it gets good. Because Job has been carried along, which means just like in previous spots where Job's like, I want a hearing with God because I haven't done anything wrong. Why have you done this to me? But my, my God will save me. Just like he's been that double-minded guy running back and forth, not a whole lot has changed for him yet. So Job's got some defending to do, which is hysterical because Job's complaints have been against the, the righteousness and work of God. You would think that it would be his three friends who would do the work of defending God and not Job, and yet here we are. So, the departed spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol, that's the grave before him, and Abaddon, that's the place of judgment, has no covering. Okay, so the departed spirits are trembling in judgment, the grave is seen by God, and judgment is before him. In other words, Job's defending God by saying, just like Bildad tried out, that God rules over judgment and God rules over death, to which we would say, yes, yes, he does. Carry forward to the New Testament. You got things like Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, Mark 9, if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's a fun description, isn't it? Now, stop for a second. If you're the three friends and Job has just told you that it is God who rules over the grave, it is God who rules over judgment, then the point should be the obvious that Job has already mentioned that who has done this to you, Job? God has done this to you. Now let's ask the next important question, which would be what? Why? 
Why? What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to repent of? What are we supposed to be figuring out? What are we supposed to be dealing with? How am I being purified? How am I being strengthened? This is the question we don't ask in a, in a non-grieving way. Because I'm sure at some point you have asked why, being upset, being angry, and being hurt. But we don't very often ask why trying to be wise. So like the tornado goes through the trailer park, as tornadoes are wont to do, and we go, why did this terrible thing happen? Well, that's not an actual question. Because the weather is bad, that's why it happened. There you go. Because nobody's ever been happy with the weather, ever. We're all complaining how hot it was last month. You know what we're going to do in five months, right? We're all going to complain about how cold it is, and then it'll get warm, and we'll do what? Complain about how hot it is, and then it'll get cold, and we'll complain about how cold... Rinse, wash, and repeat. The question should be, why has God done this? What is he instructing? Who is he strengthening? Who is he judging? Who is he building up? What sin is he pruning? What is going on? How do I live? And here's the best part. Unless I live in the trailer park, you know what I can't do? Answer any of those questions. Because that's not mine. But if you live there, you have to answer. This is again why you have to be slow and patient in life and think through these things. Because if you don't, you get next big hurry. Oh, why have you done this? Why is my life so miserable? And next, you move on. Time heals all wounds, right? right? How many times have you told yourself that? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And that's a lie anyway. It's not time that we're supposed to be looking to for healing. It is Christ. You get such a hurry, try to get space between you and whatever that thing is you don't like, and you never actually evaluate it. You never actually ask the question. You never actually think through and then learn what you're supposed to be learning in this world so that you can prune sin, so that you can lift up fellow brethren and walk faithfully to the kingdom that he is building. We have to be willing to ask and answer hard questions in life. And that means being patient and being slow in thinking. So Job continues. He stretches out the north over empty spaces and hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds and the cloud does not burst under them. He obscures the face of the full moon and spreads his cloud over it. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. Where does God rule? Everywhere. The skies above, the waters below, the edges of the known universe, right? I always like how we say that. It's the known universe. Well, you know who knows what's beyond the known? <laughs> Which, that sounds like something from a bad sci-fi line. I mean, again, repeat it, or repeat it again. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. It's the Hebrews 1 thing that we read earlier. Everything made through Christ because Christ is the revelation of who God is and what he has taught. So Job praising God for ruling everywhere. Here's the best part. You ready? He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Now, I say that in a weird way because um, if you read the book of Joshua, that would be Rahab. That would be the prostitute in Jericho. This is actually a little bit different because the near as we can figure, this is some sort of sea critter, sea monster, sea big old thing you don't catch with a hook because if it bites your hook, you die. One of those things. So that's why I try to say it a little different. So... He does that. By his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are the fringes of his ways, and how faint a word we hear of him. But his mighty thunder, who can understand? God's power is unassailable. Satan, for all his accomplishment, for all his scheming and all his wonders and things that he wants to do, before he could deal with Job, what did he need? Permission. 
He needs permission. It's God who gives it to him. It's God who orders. It is God who rules over everything. I want to make that connection. Go back to 13, Sally. Today's been an easy one for you, but go back one if we can. Anything jump out at you on that one? By his breath, the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. That's some interesting imagery. What are we waiting for? If you're Job, and let's just, we'll split the baby and say somewhere around the same time as Abraham. So is the promise to Abraham really widely known? No. So let's just push that off to the side. You have a faith in God. You know that sacrifices are supposed to be offered. You know what sacrifices are supposed to be offered because this is something that has been taught since the garden. Abel and Cain knew that they were supposed to bring sacrifice. They knew what they were supposed to bring. Noah, coming off the boat, knows the difference between a clean and an unclean animal to offer for sacrifice. So this is something that's been handed down through the families, handed down through generation after generation. So based on that tradition, what's the big promise that you're waiting for? Yeah, based on what? Remember, our, it's one of my favorite early things. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, Genesis 3.15. Son, born of the woman, who will do what? Crush the serpent and his offspring. That's why this imagery is there. What's your, how is your hope declared? What is that a hope in? If you're going to pierce a fleeing serpent, what are you telling me? You're going to do that work. You're going to accomplish this. This is again why I say Job, for all of his complaints, for all of his double-mindedness, is grounded upon who God is and what God is doing because God has grounded him there. I don't think this is Job speaking as much as it's God saying something good through him. This is supposed to be a comfort. Why is you killing snakes a comfort? Because it's not just a snake. It's evil. It's evil incarnate. It is sin. It is corruption. It is death. It is everything you hate about you and the world outside. And in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his anger, in the midst of this idiotic advice and horrendous counsel that Job has gotten, there is still an understanding that it is God who will redeem at the end. It goes back to his last good one. I know that at the end my Redeemer lives, and I will see him. That's where the hope has to lie. Christian, this is where you have to live each and every day. This is the advice. Job, why are you struggling? This is the, what are we supposed to learn? I'm supposed to learn that this world is not about me, and it is not built to give me wonderful things. It is built to glorify and honor God. Now, does it do that very often? It doesn't feel like it, does it? What has that changed about how you're supposed to live in this place? What does that knowledge change about how you're supposed to live in this place? Not the first thing. Rather, it should be an encouragement and a strength that as you live in a dark place, you can shine light. That as you live in a world that is lost in its trespasses and sins, that you are alive because of him and can proclaim his goodness and his mercy day by day, that you can walk not for the things that they walk for as you walk alongside, but that you can walk for the things that God has called you to. It's a training of your heart and mind so that you will be faithful in spite of everything else. That's the why. 
More often than not, that's almost the why to every single answer. Or rather, the answer to every single question. <clears throat> is third time's a charm. The difficulties, the struggles, the hardships, nobody loves them. No, no, nobody woke up this morning and be like, God, can I stub my toe today so that I can learn patience and how to control my tongue? You didn't wake up with that prayer on your lips, and I'm not encouraging you to wake up with that one tomorrow. But at the same time, how many times have you thought when you stubbed your toe, I shouldn't have thought that? Because sometimes you said it, and how many times you've been like, I didn't say it this time. Go me. <laughs> there you go. That's, that, that's allowed. Throwing yourself under the bus is always allowed and encouraged. Allowed and encouraged. I, I, I use that as a silly example, and I joke about that because when are you, you, not this you, not the, not the one who put on a tie and wears a nice tie clip and, and knows what shoes to buy and all that, not that you, the you that is you, when are you truly revealed? When things are hard, when life is difficult, when you're in pain, when you can't think and you don't have time, Christian, discipline yourself. Those are the areas that come flying out when you don't want them to. Those are the things that get refined and chiseled out over time. And it's good for you. It's good for you and it's good for me. Believe it or not, it's good for me. And what I mean by that is you being chiseled is good for me. Me being chiseled is good for you. Because it's how we walk and encourage one another. We need that work. We need those edges to be rounded off. We need those sins to be put to death. Because I've told you this before. We need you. You need them and they need you and we need each other. And it's just because what does it look like out there? Where's the comfort? Where's the encouragement? It's why we have to be honest and we have to be careful. Because if we're not, we start looking like them. And this has been... What, okay, you ready for those qualifiers to stump up? This has been one of the breakdowns of the, the Western church. Really, well, you can probably narrow it down to the American church the last 40 years. Is how much like the world can we look and still claim to be a church? That's not the goal. I told you, I, I grew up with, you know, with a strict dad who would you know, kill me for whatever, and I learned really quick legalism. You give me a rule... And I know everything that I can do without breaking that rule. <laughs> I know where all the lines are. That's a terrible way to live. Because it hardens your heart and it sears your conscience to things you don't want it to. We have a tendency to live like that in the world and start asking that question of God. Right, well, what can I get away with? No, no, no. How do I honor him today? How do I honor him in my speech and in my actions and in my thoughts? Because they all, start wheel, they all start welding each other together. How do I glorify God in who I am each and every day? Because that's different for everybody. It's not a matter of what I get to do. It's a matter of how do I glorify God by the strength of his spirit because of the sacrifice of his son. That's a reorienting for your daily life in how you live, how you think, how you interact with people. And it's the work that we have to do with that, that mirror conversation. Because if you don't, this is what it starts looking like. Not this part, this is a good part. But maybe the other parts with Bill Dad and the sarcasm and the anger. <sighs> because we're not patient and we're not slow enough. But we look at the world and we've got to react. And again, what does the, the poll want to do? How much of this world is meant to get you to slow down and think through things? 
<laughs> and how much of it is getting you to move on to the next thing, next thing, next thing, quickly? Every last bit. Wisdom dictates that I honor God, not this place. I think the way that he is commanded, not the way that they demand. So I slow down, and I'm patient, and I'm wise, and I'm grounded upon Scripture, and I'm anchored in prayer, knowing that it is he who carries me, because it is he who has always carried me. And the comfort is, in spite of ourselves, (laughs) that screen hates me today, in spite of ourselves, this is the work that he does. Would you have thought, if I told you with the, way, the way that these complaints started, that we're going to get to this point and Job is going to be the guy for all of his complaints to praise and honor God amongst these friends? You'd have thought I was nuts. And yet, where are we? That's where we rested. Because it is God who's carrying him through. Christian, it's the same God who's carrying you through. And he will bring you to the good day of completion. Rest in him and work in the service of that kingdom. Because the alternative is... Whatever that seems to be most of the time, and that's not a place that we can live. Let's pray.